Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back. So over the past few episodes, we've been talking um, about today's healthcare system, kind of tackling that as as one of the things that we really want to hone in on is, you know, there's a lot of of solutions out there. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people with lots of ideas out there about what's good, what's bad, and what what the right direction is. So we're trying to tackle these bigger issues and talk about Overall, what is the healthcare system like today and what does that really mean and what are the problems or challenges that we face? So last time we spent time talking about primary care physicians and the significant role that they play in determining the effective uh, and effective healthcare delivery model. And so let's face it, right? A new healthcare plan is really great, especially if it costs less, but the real test of the system is how well the healthcare is actually delivered when we need it, right? So when we're measuring the success of any sort of endeavor, you know, high-level reports are really nice. They can tell you some things about the best information and what we're learning, but the best uh, and most meaningful things come from those in the trenches doing the work. So today we've invited Dr. Brian Hill to join us. Dr. Hill is founder and CEO of Hip Nation, an innovative company addressing addressing the delivery of primary health care. So this group's have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Hill with you in the past. And so we're really excited to share your unique perspective with our listeners. So thanks for joining us today. So I wonder if you can take just a couple of minutes to share a little bit about you and your company. Uh, definitely. And that, uh, the key part of that statement there was a couple minutes because I think Annette knows I could talk to a wall for an hour and a half. Uh, so, but no, I love being here with you guys. I, I love the conversations that we have. I think this is going to be a, a really fun uh, interaction. So just quickly about me uh, for, for the listeners, I'm a practicing physician. I, I went into medicine very simply because I just love it. I think medicine's a beautiful, wonderful place to be. I feel blessed every day I get to take care of people. Uh, so I, I truly just love the practice of medicine. Uh, the reason I'm sitting here, the reason I developed and, and formed a company called Hip Nation is because when I came out of residency, I realized very quickly that, that medicine wasn't necessarily about physicians and patients engaging in each other. You know, it was really about a system that had been built around that patient-physician relationship. And that system was really inhibiting the ability of physicians, patients to engage in a Price, uh, price transparent, really highly effective, cost effective way. And patients were suffering, physicians were suffering, employers who were paying crazy high bills for healthcare and health insurance were suffering, and something needed to change. And so uh, we decided to put a company together and try to hack this healthcare system from the inside, from those of us as Annette said, live in the trenches of healthcare to try to find a better way forward. Yeah, you mentioned employers, and so a lot of our listeners are employers, and so you know from their perspective, you know they're trying they they're offering benefit plans to their employees, and they're trusting like all of these network plans are as your doctor in there, then it should be good enough. But really, when you th- when they think about it, what what should they these employers be thinking when it comes to their employees' access to primary care? What what are the important factors for them. 
Yeah, no, I think that's great. The so a couple key pieces around it, you know, in primary care. And and primary care certainly is the foundation of the healthcare system. You can look at any health economist out there and and they would tell you any system that's built around the foundation of great primary care is gonna lead to better outcomes, lower costs, longer, you know, longer product I mean uh, longevity better productivity of a workforce. I mean, great primary care is the foundation of the healthcare system. So when an employer is sitting down and looking at a plan, a benefit, if you will, for their employees, you know, the question I always say is really, are, you, are your employees benefiting out of it? You know, you're creating an insurance plan, you know, but is it really a healthcare plan? And a healthcare plan is a plan that really maximizes the access to primary care, minimizes those things that inhibit that primary care interaction and engagement. And is the, at least from the primary care side, is the primary care able to really be there for your employee to keep them healthy and well, keep them at work, you know, keep them hopefully with their home, loving their family, and, and really keep them, make them maximally well. And, and that should be the very first question I think we ask when we start putting a, a health plan together is, is it really a benefit you know, for the health and wellness of our workforce? Yeah, I think like going back to, I rarely go to like a primary care doctor, but you know, I have two young children and it's like, oh, and every year they got to go. So you're always thinking about, you know, like your kids and it kind of is like pushed into you, like go take them in. But it's, I think even from an employee perspective, you're not really educated to be like, hey, if you go in annually, you may be catching something early on to avoid kind of these catastrophic costs later on. Yeah, it's, it's a couple things. And you're, yeah, you're totally right, Samantha. It, it, it's a couple things around it. Um, you know, one, it's certainly going, okay, I want to be in that preventive space, right? I want to engage in that space of, of wellness and prevention and, and, you know, having somebody lay hands on me and listen to my heart and my lungs and right, take my labs, make sure those things are okay, right? That's that kind of if you will, the, the hard aspect of medicine, right? The the non you know the the non soft side of the street. The other soft side of medicine, though, is wellness. You know, and so you know you're uh, I'll put this out. You know, you're young. You're probably as healthy as can be. You probably exercise. You work out. But I bet you're a bit of a type A personality. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I bet you work like crazy. You probably don't sleep very much. You got two young kids at home. Right. And, and so, right, there's there's stressors in this life of yours. Right. I can yeah. see through. Right. So there's stressors in this life of yours right, that are going to impact your health and your wellness. And it might not be today. And it's not going to show up in your labs. It's not going to show up in your preventive exam. Right. But it's going to show up if your primary care doctor is able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Talk about your sleep patterns, your stress management skills, your dietary habits and go, OK, while you look great. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to be in 10 or 15 years? And I don't want to deal with 10 or 15 years and 10 or 15 years. Let's prevent it now. And so it's not prevention for today per se, right? It's also prevention for tomorrow. And that's where primary care, right, really can engage with people to really make a difference in their lives. So, so Dr. Hill, you know, I hear so many employers feel like what we just said to them was that you really need to push your employees to their primary care physicians. But I'm hearing you say something more than that. You're talking about the holistic nature of the care that's provided. And if it's not there, it's not sufficient to accomplish what you're talking about. Amen. I mean, we'll, we, we, we talked a little bit. I know you mentioned in that about the, the shortage of physicians in medicine. And, and I'll tell you, you know, obviously engaging and having a lot of conversations around the primary care space from, from people in medical school and, and pre-med students and, and residencies and, and, and practicing physicians. And they went into medicine because they wanted to actually be a, a doctor for people. 
doctoring is really an educator. It's somebody who takes care and cares for the whole of somebody. And, and the reason there's so much struggle in the primary care space right now is, is that oh, they can't do that, right? They don't have the time, the capacity, the bandwidth to be that holistic doctor, to have a conversation with Samantha about your sleep patterns, eating habits, exercise regimen, right? There's too, there's seen too many people doing too many things that don't matter. So they can't provide that holistic care. And, and so that's what's really falling short. And that's why physicians are, are really, unfortunately, burnt out in the world of primary care. And that's why physicians aren't going into it. We can talk a lot more around that. But that aspect is missing so much. And that's right. That's the calling of medicine, right, is not to write a prescription for somebody, right, is to keep them having to write a prescription in the first place. Um, and so and I'll put one, one other comment around that, Ron. And, and, I, and I, I love the concept of, of, you know, employers pushing their patients in primary care. Um, I, I see this as a synergy, right? I like to be work here as medicine going, I want to partner with employees because what I want to do right, is I want to pull employees into primary care and we're going to reach out. I want to have our you know, physicians should be engaging with the employees and their patients and going, Hey, you need to be in my office and, and Samantha, you look great, but I need you in my office to, to get an exam and have a conversation and let's talk with each other. Let's check in. And it should be as much of a pull from my side, right? From medicine as it is a push from the employer side, right? It's supposed to be the two of us working together to create a benefit for employees because that's how we keep people healthy yeah. and well. And, and I see that as a huge distinction in terms of, of what you're talking about and what you hear from employers about what they're hearing they should be doing. Yeah, and also from an employee perspective too, like I don't want to just feel like another number. Like I want to actually go in there and have a conversation. But if I'm being, you know, told, oh, you're going to have to wait. And it could be like 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour. And then they come in for five minutes and they're like, what questions do you have? You're like, I don't know what I don't know. So there's not really a lot of relationships. So what's, you know, kind of like, is this really the best use of my time? Uh, it's exactly right. I'll tell you, I was with my a meeting with my one of my physicians this morning. Yeah, she's awesome. She's I, I, I love her to death, death, Dr. Bush. And and she had pictures on her phone that she just was dying to show me, you know, from her patients, right? That had sent her. She had a patient that sent her because she just had a new baby and she sent her. She goes, Hey, this is the third generation of my family. You've taken care of my mom, you've taken care of me, you've now taken care of, you know, my my baby. And and so she has these on her phone because she has a relationship with people. And it's the relationship to the point where you're just not another number, right? You're you're a person that I'm I'm walking with together, you know, as a co-author in your life, right? Not just asking you questions, but going, how do we author this life of health and wellness together? Because that's really what primary care is supposed to be. And, you know, engaging with somebody, not going, hey Samantha, what's wrong with you? Do you have any questions? All right. And by the way, I, I talk to patients all the time, right? And it's kind of sad. I go, what does your primary care doctor look like? And they go, I, I don't know. Half the time, all I do is see the back of their head while they're typing away like crazy on their computer, putting things in electronic health record. I'm like, yeah, that's not a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is when they say, so Anita, what would you, and I'm like, okay, I have a great relationship with you. You don't even know. And it's sad, you know, and, and, and I don't, you know, and maybe this is me on the medicine side. I, I try not to put that fault on on, on the physicians per se, right? And, and we, you know, we can talk about, like I said, my crazy perspective of this world and medicine, right? But the system is so broken, right? That that's not what medicine is supposed to be. It's just what it is right now. And and again, we can go, go back and talk around why there's a shortage in primary care because nobody, right? When they're growing up as a little kid, as five or six or seven years old goes, I want to grow up to be a doctor and I don't want to know the name of the patient and sitting in front of me. I want to spend half my time on a computer typing and staring at that. I want to be a coding agent for the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Yay, that's what I want my future to be, right? That's not yeah. going up to be a doctor. 
And Scott, Scott, that's kind of your point about the shortage of physicians is it sort of exacerbates itself. The, the, the less there's a capacity, the more they behave in ways that are uh, contrary to the interest of the patient and the employee. I mean, employer. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it appears to be a problem that compounds rapidly, yeah. um, an issue that compounds rapidly. But I wanted to ask Dr. Hill, um, obviously, right now, uh, you know, Samantha, Annette, myself, Ron, we're heavily involved in, in lobbying for health policy. And there's some major structural conversations that are going on both at the state level and the federal level that really have the capacity to decide what the United States health system, at least from a from a regulatory and legislative perspective, could look like for generations to come. And, you know, when I talk to my 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 friends in the Philadelphia area, or my friends from college that all did a semester abroad and they start telling me about the wonders of the Irish system or the wonders of the French system. I say, to them, yeah, you know, I, I've been to Ireland. I drove from Dublin to Galway in two and a half hours and two and a half hours driving from Philly to Pittsburgh. You're not even halfway there. Um, you know, I, <laughs> France is this is, is, is about three quarters the size of Texas. Right. The United States is is a bit of a unique animal from a from a geographical perspective and from a demographic perspective yes. uh, uh, incredible diversity in the population incredibly diversity in in distances between providers and in uh, you know differences between accessing care in the city versus accessing care in rural markets i'm interested to hear how this this geographical diversity manifests itself in in access to primary care. Um, We deal with a lot of employers across the country who are in very different markets, very different localities. Um, What are some of the challenges that you see in the different markets around the country and the markets that you operate in when it comes to accessing primary care? That's a great question. That's a a full question. Uh, So, so yeah, we see tremendous differences in socioeconomic demographics throughout throughout the United States, education and payment levels throughout the United States, even the the history of different populations engaging and interacting with medicine and where they they, they count, you know, look at medicine and how they view medicine. The, The great statement always around healthcare is healthcare is local. Right. Healthcare is your backyard. Healthcare is what happens, right? Rural Georgia is very different than the inner city of, of, of Atlanta. And, and so you, if you try to treat you know, treat them all the same as one singular entity, right, you're going to fall short in both. You know, and so everything that we try to do and, and our perspective around medicine is trying to make medicine as close to people as we can possibly get it. And, and that's where I will tell you, it's, I, I think you guys know I kind of ran away from D.C. a little bit personally and, and, and that push on, on you know, fighting legislation and working on legislation. And I went, let's get back to the grassroots of medicine, you know, because I know that if I can get you know, physicians in, in southwest Georgia who know right, that local patient population and the farming population and I can get them practicing medicine in that backyard in the way that I think that Pet Ron kind of laid out that very personal, holistic way, right? They're going to be best suited to reach that population, right? If I can get people in the inner city of, of, of Atlanta, right? And I can find physicians that have a heart of desire who grow up in that inner city and go, hey, I want to go back and I want to give back to the inner city and I want to participate in that. I've got models, right, that can put that in place in the inner city and, and I can make that healthcare as local there and, and create, hopefully, like I said, that same holistic approach to care. So, I'm very, very a grassroots kind of on the boots on the ground kind of person. And I think we fixed the, the disparities in healthcare and access through, you know, making things as local as we possibly can. And then certainly, right, there's always those opportunities to augment that with this, uh, different technologies that are you know, beautifully walking into the, into our world right now to help augment that. Um, 
but but to me, it's always healthcare is local. It's what's happening in your backyard. Can, can you uh, just address quickly the, when you mentioned technology? Can you discuss a little bit about what that might mean? Yeah, definitely. So big, you know, broad brushstrokes in technology. And and again, same thing, every population kind of has a different take and, and need in technology and utilization of technology. I, I think the technology certainly that most of us yeah, at this point look at, you know, is is right telecommunication. Right now, that's a big right platform is is we're sitting here on Zoom, um, you know, being able to connect and have conversations with people via, via telemedicine closes a lot of gaps in distance. Um, doesn't Close as much gaps in, in, in touch, right? But certainly in distance. And it can act as a great augment to touch, right? If you can get people to, to touch and have that primary care engagement interaction visit and then augment those visits with that, that telecommunication, then then great. That's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Uh, one of my frustrations, right, is that we've had telecommunication ability around since 2004. <laughs> I mean, but when's the, when did we really have an uptick in u- the utilization of telemedicine? It wasn't until we had legislation that, that made, you know, that had insurance companies paying or using telemedicine. Um, so we've had this wonderful tool. We just haven't been able to use it because we didn't have a billing model for it, which is crazy in my mind. This um, may be this may be blasphemous, but I so I think about telemedicine and I think about the fact that it, it, it's being sold, but it's not being sold in the context of holistic care. It's being sold in the context of here's an additional service, an additional uh convenience factor for you as opposed to so so is is it is important i think how you use it right yeah, very much so. so i'll go back to my physician i was talking to this morning because we had a conversation around around telemedicine and and she said the foundation of, of healthcare is still relationships right still being able to land lay hands on somebody so there's a big big difference between telemedicine as a connection to a, a telemedicine service right where it's a physician on the end of the line who doesn't know you, isn't going to spend time with you, doesn't want to get to know you, right? They're not, they're never going to hear your voice again, probably on the phone. And odds are more than anything, they're going to write you a prescription at the end of the, the call, right? Because that's just what they do. Um, that's a very, very different provision of care than having telemedicine with a doctor that spent an hour and a half with you that knows you and you're actually augmenting that with a device like telemedicine, a tool to actually provide care at an acute need and time and hopefully in a way that's very convenient for you. Dr. Hill, you know, I, the people on this call have spent inordinate, inordinate amounts of time looking at claims data. And, um, you know, when you're sitting with an employer who's who's paying, uh, you know, it's probably their number two or three uh, expense item on their on their entire budget. They're paying tons of money uh, for offering health benefits to their employees. It's hard not for their eyes to get drawn immediately to the high cost claimants and, and really focusing on what is driving uh, uh, the, the more sh- astounding claims. But there's also this issue that um, that I, I, I feel very passionately about because I feel like I live it. I have sciatica um, and I have seasonal allergies, which are two you know relatively mundane conditions that are very uncomfortable certain times of day and certain times of year when I'm working. And I feel like it is a, it can be a distraction 
from my job. Um, they're not big, sexy claims that are going to get anyone's attention. But over a period of time, I can see how an employee who is who is um, perhaps not realizing enough access to primary care, that type of discomfort could lead to very real implications for a business's bottom line. So what I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on is one is how does primary care perhaps uh, uh, not save money from sh- from from the big claims, but mm-hmm. also impact the steerage of where those large ticket items are perhaps delivered, uh, the type of care, the type of facility that uh, you might refer to if you're a high functioning primary care practice, but then also the day to day health issues, you know, the, mm-hmm. the things that can really manifest um, from a, from a, the, the term of art we use is presenteeism, you yeah. know, those presenteeism issues. Uh, can you speak a little bit to those two, two variables? Yeah, Again, such, such such a small question, Doctor. Yeah, I know exactly. So we got presenteeism, we got absenteeism, then we got shock claims, and uh, <laughs> so uh, so we'll start with absenteeism, presenteeism. I, I think that's a great place to start, and I think right because most people, right? I know employers, right? They dig through claims, they take a look at that shock claim, right? They go, oh my gosh, all my expenses on that shock claim. I'm going to ignore everything else, and 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 the even the idea of looking at claims data. Right, is you're looking at one piece of the pie of an employer spent on, on healthcare, if you will. Right, so the idea of absenteeism, presenteeism, is as equal of an impact in the productivity you know, in a workforce as it is their claims. And so if we go, okay, now, you know, Scott's got terrible sciatica. He can't go see his primary care doctor. He's walking around, maybe taking breaks at work. He's not actually actively engaging in his job very well. His mind is elsewhere because he's just dealing with sciatica. He just has a copay to see his doc or just doesn't want to go and spend right an hour and a half waiting in the waiting room to go spend that five minutes. Or, with his or use a PTA, PTO day or yeah, use PTO. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Brian, so, have you have you met him before? Yeah. <laughs> I'm comfortable <laughs> using PTO, but go ahead. I'm trying to peg all of you guys. Right. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm psychoanalyzing you all as we talk. Um, so the so the idea becomes right. How do you actually improve your access to care, Scott? Right? How do we and and it, it's again. And I will go back and we'll hopefully we'll talk a little bit about right radically transforming primary care, right? Because we talk about it in this way of oh my gosh, this is what needs to happen, right? But you should be able to go. I got sciatica going on, or I've got this you know seasonal allergy that's acting up. All right, I'm gonna. Deal with my primary care by sending my primary care a text or calling the front you know, front office person and my primary care physician's office who's not right running around chaotically trying to see 25 or 30 people a day. And they go, hey, oh, yeah, Scott, yeah, you deal with your sciatica or your, your, your you know, seasonal allergies. It's that time of year again. Hey, Scott, you know what? On your way to work, why don't we just call a prescription over to, to pick up a little steroid you know, dose pack for that, that sciatica you know, with you. Let's make sure you don't miss work. Let's get that, that thing you know, managed here. And, and oh, yeah. Perhaps along the way, I don't know you very well, so I'll, I'll throw this, but geez, are you doing yoga, Scott? You know, I, I, right? Are we engaging in yoga? Are we really working on core muscle strengthening and stretching exercises? Are we right, the holistic, right? Anybody call a prescription in, right? You can do, but what are we doing to also try to work ahead of that deal with sciatica? I dance with sciatica a little myself there. So, you know, what are we doing to try to help that body of yours relieve the stress on the sciatica, you know, the sciatic nerve? Stress. How are you managing your stress in your life? Because that you know is going to cause issues with with sciatica. You know. So what are the other things that we're doing outside of that? But first, let's just make it easy to access and engage to get the care you need. But then let's also take that holistic, long term approach towards: Are there things that we can do to help you on diet, lifestyle, health, and wellness? Right to minimize that risk of sciatica flaring. Um, and by doing so, right, the goal becomes: One, can we make sure you get to work? 
so you're not having absenteeism. Can we make sure while you're at work, you're actually being a productive member of the workforce, right? Because those are costs, right? They're the hidden subtle costs behind an employer that people like you know very well because you probably study the data like no tomorrow, right? But a lot of employers are just looking at claims and forgetting that their healthy workforce is a more productive workforce. A workforce at work is a more productive workforce. You know, I... It's great that I, I, I love hearing you say that because you're right, Scott, so many employers focus on the one person or whatever that's driving large claims and f- like forget about everybody else. And really the bottom line is, do does each person have the energy and the ability to do what they need to do in a day, right? If not, then you're not getting 100% of them as an employee either, right? They're not able to, to be as productive. And so that could be, a, to your point, Dr. Hill, a much bigger spend that you're not even paying attention to than, um, than you would have thought. So, you know, getting to that relationship, I think, is really important. So, so how do we how do you do that like so you talked about we talked about the shortage we talked about this got to be this great relationship that's built over time between the doctor and the patient and you know me and so we work on things together and you have this support system which is significant um to how well you're going to do and how much you're going to progress so how, how do we make that happen yeah, so uh, so you guys heard me preach, so I'll, I'll preach, right? Um, so medicine's got to get personal again. So we have to, and, and I'm in the disruptor innovator space, right? And and the status quo of where we are and what we're doing, you know, is one thing that just has to transform. And so right now, right, we live in a fee-for-service world in primary. You know, and so every employer, right, signing up their employee, they're taking a look at the Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or, or United or Cigna or Edna or whatever right, they're going to use as their, their administrator. And they're taking a look going, okay, oh, good. What's their patient? What's the physician panel? Let's make sure we got a large physician panel. And and I know, right, within that physician panel, you know, there's a bunch of physicians, now, God bless them, right, who are trying to see 25 or 30 people a day, right? 61% of them are burnt out, mm-hmm. right? They're spending an average of, right, 15 minutes with a patient, but 75% of that time is with their head stuck in their electronic health record system. They're not providing care. And we go, okay, but thank God I've got this large network uh, of, of primary care to, to give to my employees, but they're not doing a darn thing because, right, the system is, is holding them back. And so, right, my, my take out there is get rid of the system in places where it shouldn't exist, right? And let's make primary care a separate entity, get it out of the insurance construct, you know, set up direct-based contracting in the primary care space, right? Get rid of the fee-for-service-based model, set up membership models for primary care, you know, and allow physicians to get rid of the coding, the billing, the prior authorizing, pre-certification, claims denial processing, right? The 70, you know, 60 to 70% overhead costs in their office that have everything to do with the insurance industry, but have nothing to do with taking care of people. Get rid of all that, and let physicians through a membership with a with a, a you know employee go. My job is to do one thing only: be so doctor, here for you and take care of you. Doctor Hill, I'm in a so I'm I'm in a part of the country where DPC is direct primary care contracting is a. A, a very novel concept. It, it hasn't really taken hold yet, but it's one of the concepts that I'm extremely excited about. Um, and I see it, you know, with your company and, and, and other parts of the country starting to gain traction. Can you just give a quick 100 level? What What is the difference between a fee-for-service model and a direct primary care contracting model? 
Yeah, definitely. So I'll do this from the side of a, of a physician and give you the perspective of what that looks like you know, from a physician side. So in a fee-for-service model, right, the average primary care doctor in a fee-for-service model says, I'm going to take your insurance card, I want to take your copay right, to, for my medical service, and then I'm going to run all the coding back to my back office and have them deal and dance with an insurance company to try to get money to come back into my office. And, and that model right, is going to make my overhead costs around 60 to 70%. And in order for me, therefore, to cover those costs, I'm going to have to see a lot of people. I'm going to have to run person after person through my office. I'm going to run 22 to 25 people through my office. I'm going to limit my office visits to about 15 minutes. Right? I'm going to make sure I'm doing my coding and billing properly because that's what matters to me than necessarily providing care. Because if I don't code and bill properly, I'm not going to get paid from the insurance company. right? And so now they're just moving through people through the office. They're not providing care, not being holistic. And, and physicians are dying and getting burned out. And patients aren't getting terrible care as, or not getting as care, good of care as they should as a result. And so we go, stop all of that. Get primary care and separate it out from the insurance-based industry and set up a monthly membership model with a primary care physician. Let those physicians knock their patient panel down from 2,500 to 3,000 to five or 600. Have them see six or eight people a day instead of 25 people a day. And let that primary care be paid, not through fee-for-service, not through co-pays, deductibles, not through trying to build an insurance company, right? But just get paid through a monthly membership model, economically efficient way. Office staff drops down to one that's focused on providing patient care instead of coding and billing. You know, now we're at a lot more economically efficient office. And now, right, I could be a doctor for a fewer people and I could give my doctor, my patients, my cell phone, right? I text with them. I can start to do telecommunication, you know, with them. You know, I'm going to be there to spend an hour, hour and a half talking about, about their health and wellness because I'm not trying to see 25 people a day. I'm available for next day or urgent, you know, uh, day appointments, right? I'm now a doctor taking care of people instead of a cog in the wheel of an insurance-based system, right? Who's focused on insurance and triaging people instead of treating people. Huge different mental yeah. difference. And that right now, right, is a foundation of a great healthcare system. And the cool part about it all is when you start bringing that in, Right? The downstream costs start dropping. The healthcare utilization of primary care goes up. The downstream utilization goes down. Hospital emissions go down. Care coordination goes up. Right, steerage, right, of, of actually having physicians, physicians going, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm as much of a, a, a physician, and I'm here to make sure your patients are healthy and well. Right, but I can also start being a bit of a fiduciary for them. I can start thinking about cost because now I care, and I've got time. And my physicians get excited when they go, hey, I'm going to help direct patients to a lower cost CT and imaging center, right? Because now I can, I know where they are, right? We, we all work together to know to help direct people and people are being directed there, not because the plan tells them to, and they're going, well, wait, is the plan on my side? I don't know. The plan's for the, you know, for the employer. It's not for me per se. And, but if your doctor's helping direct that care right now, right, it's, an, it's again, that co-author of, 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 let me help you walk through health and wellness together. And so it can really start positively impacting quality of care people are getting, the spend that's happening in healthcare, and really ultimately, right, healthy people are, are more productive people. So I'm hearing a, an incredibly powerful point if I'm a business right now. And you've got a it's a three-prong approach. But, you know, if we estimate that as much as 35% care is unnecessary, then the economics of it is a powerful message 
Number two, that unnecessary care doesn't advance the interest of the patient. So now I'm focused on a, a more powerful outcome for them. So they're more engaged at work. I solve the problem as opposed to treat the symptoms. But, but, but the third piece of it is, is your system is going to attract those individuals that aren't getting those kind of services from their primary care physicians. You're not going to challenge the existing ones that are doing the right job, but you're going to supplement the ones that aren't. And I think that comes together in a very powerful point that business should really think about. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole idea. I'm thinking also back to what you were saying, Dr. Hill, about, you know, talking to some of these uh, students, the students in med school and them, the ones coming out and, you know, their dream of being a doctor and actually working with people. And I guess the, the thing to ponder is if that were the the scenario that they could walk into, would we really have a shortage, the shortage we have now, right? So that's perfect. Question. I, I tell people, I'll, I'll throw on that. I, I People ask me all the time, why is there a primary care shortage? And, and I tell them it's because they have a terrible job description. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So gosh, this gives us tons of things to think about. Thank you, Dr. Hill, for your time. This was really wonderful today. Um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you back if, if you'd be willing um, to do a uh, more of a deep dive, but I think this is a great start of something to consider that really brings us to a much better place um, for both um, the employees of, of employers, but people in general, just their overall well-being when we start to think about how people thrive coming forward. It, it, it leads more to that than um, adding extra angst because now um, it's even stressful to go to see a doctor now, right? (laughs) So we're adding (laughs) in the current system. So thank you all. Thanks for your time today and um, join us again next time. Thanks y'all. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.